Welcome to this Market Commentator podcast, my weekly podcast where I speak to leading investment professionals. My name is Rijk van Ikerk and my guest today is Daniel Malan of Perspective Investment Managers. This is a relatively new firm in the industry. It was established in January last year. Daniel, welcome to the show. How has the first uh, 18 months treated you in this industry? Thank you, Rijk. We're very happy. As you know, the markets have been tricky. And uh, things have developed in an interesting way in South Africa, politically and economically. So it's an exciting and interesting time to be starting a business in our country, of course. But I'm very pleased. We've been well received by the market. And I'm excited about some of the values that we've encountered in the markets. And um, portfolio has produced a reasonable return in a very, very difficult market. You've just built up a track record of one year. The fund was launched in September last year. What was the performance in this year? Right. In absolute terms, the fund is up 8% after all costs over the one-year period. That doesn't sound like much, but in the context of a market where there's, as you know from our previous conversations, the market, there's, a lot, there's been a lot of traps and ways to lose very significant amount of money. And we're very pleased with that outcome. And uh, we've done so by taking on very little risk for our clients. So I'm very pleased with that. Daniel, your fund allocation is interesting. You have around 40% in cash and another 5% in bonds and uh, around 50% in equity. That seems to be a very conservative approach, which I, looking back over the past year, is actually the correct approach. Like what we, the, the way we do our approach investments here is that our commitment to our investors and to ourselves as the biggest clients in the fund is that we will only buy assets when there's a sufficient return to risk. So cash for us is a default position, and uh, as we've discussed before, cash looks like a bad idea until everything else is down 20%, and all of a sudden the, <laughs> the 6 7 8% that you make on your cash is suddenly a fantastic return. So we don't have any stress in owning cash. We think it's a, it's a safe asset to ride out expensive markets with. And for us, a whole portfolio strategy is to arrive at the point where the fund can be fully invested in wonderful companies led by people we can trust. But we want to arrive at that point with all of our clients' capital intact. You are virtually 100% invested in the local market. Now, the local market has performed dreadfully over the past year, especially if you compare it to the performances of international markets. Uh, what are your expectations of the local market uh, in the short or medium term? And do you think the, the poor performance represents a buying opportunity now? Uh, there's a few questions in there. I'll start with, we have a reasonably small allocation to offshore at this point in time, and we've had that for over a year now. And the, the main reason is that the currency is quite cheap. The South African rand is, in fact, quite cheap. We subscribe to the president's view of the currency, and our the evidence you know leads us to that same conclusion. So, in that sense, we we think it's quite dangerous to take money offshore when the rand is at a cheap level. We can headwind to your U.S. or sterling returns if you do that. And on top of that, the offshore markets are at broad levels are at extremely overvalued and expensive levels. So that would be the, the worst of both worlds, is that you buy overvalued offshore assets and then the RAND strengthens, and then you can lose quite a lot of money very quickly. So we're very aware of that. doesn't mean we're not looking for overseas investments, and we will, we will buy them when the, when the time comes, as we do with everything else. But to get to your second question there on the South African market, we are getting a little bit more excited, but it's, very, it's still early days. 
there are significant risks embedded in the markets, and when a very expensive asset goes down 20 or 30 percent, that just makes it somewhat less expensive. That doesn't mean it, it, would, it would have reached the levels that we can get excited about yet. So we're very, very encouraged by the unwind in many valuations that we've seen in the markets, but unfortunately, many of those stocks that we like so much are still quite a ways away from where we would buy them. Which would those stocks be? <laughs> That's our secret. <laughs> but I, I'm happy to just maybe share an example. Um, if I think about a, what I think of as a, as a quality business, you know, it's large, it's investable, it's got good management, it's just at a very expensive point. You know, I would think of something like Mr. Price would be one example. It's a terrific business. It's got a family-owned you know, culture, very significant ownership by the insiders. It's a very, very well-run business. Over the last six months, the share price is down 20%, and uh, Mr. Price is still trading on over 20 times earnings on very high levels of profit margins. And it is vulnerable to a, a leveraged consumer in South Africa that has had no pricing power in, his, in terms of his disposable income for the last probably five or six years and no job growth in the economy. So a company like Mr. Price, even as much as we love it and think it's just a phenomenal business, it's nowhere near the price levels that we would be getting involved. Let's look at the top 10 equity holdings of the fund. Sassel, number one, 5.5%. Of the fund, uh, Wilson Bailey Homes, uh, 3%, Discovery, 3%, and Remgro. And the fifth one is Omnia, also around 3%. Those are very interesting choices. Can you briefly uh, talk to, you know, Wilson Bailey Homes especially? I think Sassel is a very solid stock and it, the prospects are really, really uh, good. But Wilson Bailey Homes is the second largest uh, company in the fund. What is the thinking there? I like in, in Wilson Bailey's case, a few things stand out for us. Number one, this company is, by any measure, the, the standout quality business in its sector. So in the construction sector, it's got terrific leadership. It's got a terrific culture. That is a part of the argument. The second part of the argument is that it's, it is at cheap levels. It's at attractive valuation multiples, and it's offering good value. The share price has gone nowhere for the last basically three years. And one of the things that we like a lot is the company saw the troubles in South Africa coming many, many years ago, and it diversified itself by starting businesses in Australia and buying offshore exposure. So Wilson Bailey right now has, I think, less than 40% of its business is actually in South Africa in terms of its profits. So it diversified away from the South African geopolitical environment a long time ago, and that's very smart thinking. And the thing I like lot is that when you look around the market and you see what's happened to its competitors, you know, companies like Basel Reed and Group 5 and Avenge, you know, these are companies that have been around for decades and they are clearly in very severe trouble. And I think that that bodes well for Wilson Bailey on a five to ten year view looking forward. They're the company with the strongest balance sheet in the sector and if our new president actually delivers on cleaning up our economy in terms of corruption and starting to spend money on infrastructure. You know, I, I think owning, having some exposure in the portfolio to the construction sector in a quality business like Wilson Bailey is probably going to be a good idea. Yes. Uh, in your uh, top 10 holdings, you also have a few commodity stocks, Exaro and Anglo Gold. What are your 
perspectives on the commodity sector and are you currently investing in this sector? Right. We are already invested in, uh, in a part of the sector. Um, we don't own the, the big leading light names. Uh, probably a mistake. We have found some interesting assets in that space. And when the RAND strengthened significantly earlier in the year when Ramaphosa was initially elected, or partially elected in any event, that gave us an opportunity to buy positions in the portfolio in um, the commodity sector. You know, So, for example, SAPI and SASOL. As you mentioned, Anglo Gold and Exaro. Well, Exaro we've had for over a year, and but it's the same refrain, Rick. It's uh, these are you know large quality businesses with fantastic assets and strong management that met our return hurdles on a five and ten year basis, and uh, we're very pleased. For example, with a company like Exaro, where management have been criticised heavily, but if you actually put your emotions aside and you look at what they've in fact done in terms of capital allocation, it's been exemplary. And I don't think the market has recognized Xara management enough for what they have in fact done to create shareholder value. There's a glaring absence of uh, financial stocks apart from discovery holdings, especially banks. In hindsight, again, it was a very good call on your part because the, the sector has really deteriorated. But it seems to be one of the cheapest sectors with some very, very good companies in there. What are your perspectives on, on that sector? Uh, like that's a good point. A good thing that you picked that up. Uh, it's quite deliberate. We have nothing against the banks. But the one bank that we, again, think as a standout is, is um, the RMB First Rand Group, and that's the one we've owned throughout. I think in this market that's generally so expensive, the one thing we are really freaked out about is we want to continue avoiding the value traps. And when I say value trap, I mean businesses that, that look cheap on a simplistic basis, so, you know, low PEs, high dividend yields, low price-to-book value, that kind of stuff. And that's easy to spot, but I'm concerned in the bank sector because they look like cheap stocks on low PEs and the like. But when you dig a little bit deeper, you realize that a lot of that earnings is a result of charging very, very high transaction fees to South African consumers. And if you listen to Jan van Sale at ARC, where they've launched a competitor, and if you read through the lines and you look at the segment of the market that they're targeting, these guys are going for the transaction fees. They think that that's a space that they can play in. And uh, if that happens, and they take a bit of market share away from the big banks in terms of transactional volume, the PEs that you currently see could be, under, could be a lot lower than they actually are. And uh, it doesn't offer, in our view, that that's a downside risk that's not widely recognized in the market. What do you expect of the, the stock market in the short to medium term, especially with the prospects of a poor economic performance, uh, you know, less than 1% growth of the economy? Do you think the stock market can uh, perform better in the near term? Like, I think it's a great question. And the first point I'd like to make is, it, there's clear evidence, academic evidence from all around the world that's been produced that stock market returns and economic growth have no correlations. In fact, it's almost negative in many respects. So it's a well-known reality that the South African stock market has been one of the best long-term stock markets from a real return perspective. And yet it's been one of the poorest growth economies in the world. <laughs> mm. When I think through that, 
the one thing that I've come to appreciate about the South African market environment is, is the strength of our companies and the lack of competition by foreign entrants. And I think that creates an environment where there's an excess return that's available for the better companies in our country. Mm. And I'm excited about the prospect of owning those if they are sold off sufficiently to levels that we can buy them at. We discussed Mr. Price earlier as one example. We're not seeing that. We are seeing a two-tiered um, performance on the JSE. The big international-focused counters have performed reasonably well, but the so-called SA Inc. stocks, um, companies that are uh, very dependent on the health of the local economy, have performed dreadfully. And uh, I think that is not... They've only started performing dreadfully. (laughs) But the JSE has and overall has also performed poorly over the last few years. Yes, in rent and and US dollar terms. And and frankly, that's a function of just becoming very, very overvalued. You know, driven by some of the large caps, you know, you're talking about a NASPAS, which is a massive part of the index. And of course, those multiples on a company like that will drive the whole market to a high level. As I said earlier, I think... The economy is definitely stalled. There's no doubt about that. And um, the market is busy with a self-correcting mechanism. And I believe now and into the next 12 to 18 months, I think there's going to be some fantastic opportunities to buy, to buy really good companies. And that's what, that's what we're excited about. But there are voices in the market who advocate that foreign investments uh, is the way to go and that it will continue to outperform the local market. You seem to disagree with that. I strongly disagree, but it's not something I'm sucking up my thumb. (laughs) It's because we've done the work on the underlying valuations and South Africa is misleading at the index level, again, because it's dominated by a couple of large caps with high multiples. Um, If you cut through it and if you are able as a business to invest in, let's say, slightly smaller companies, so if you have a very wide investment universe, it turns out that if you roll up your sleeves and you look hard enough, there are actually some really good ideas. And, uh, you know, like I said, a company like Wilson Bailey is a good idea. It's just that it's pretty small. I mean, it's, a, it's less than a 10 billion rand market cap. It's very difficult for, a, for example, global fund management firms with massive amounts of assets under management. They would have to buy 50% of the company to make a dent in their clients' portfolios. And that's something that a relatively smaller fund management firm with a focus on producing investor returns, you know, can possibly access that a very, very large manager globally couldn't do. We'll have to leave it there. But uh, Daniel, we'll speak in a, in a few months' time and see if uh, that perspective is accurate. Certainly, it is interesting indeed. That was Daniel Malan. He is uh, from Perspective Investment Managers.